Episode 77, everybody, with Aaron Wilson, who works for the Houston Chronicle covering the Houston Texans, formerly covered the Baltimore Ravens when I was in the NFL agent industry back in 2009, 10, 11. That's when I got to know Aaron. He was covering our dear friends in Baltimore. Uh, you know, Cleveland is a, uh, Baltimore is a sensitive topic when you talk about football here in Cleveland. And uh, we probably talk about a little bit here in this 40-minute uh, conversation, talk a lot about sports, we talk a lot about life in general. Uh, Aaron lost his wife several years ago, we get into some of that, how he was able to rebound and recover, um, how it, what it takes to cover uh, the many different personalities in the NFL and the tricky dynamics that uh, NFL or all sports reporters have in, in, in covering these teams because they're walking a fine line between the players' feelings and the fans wanting to know the truth. And uh, these guys have to balance that every single day. So uh, we get into everything. It was a pretty fascinating conversation with Aaron, and I appreciate his time as always. So uh, if you like sports, if you like life, if you want to hear just about uh, the ins and outs and behind-the-scenes kind of things, then uh, you will absolutely love this next conversation with the one and only Aaron Wilson. The Optimal Life. So what's up, man? You, 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 when when I was in the industry, we obviously got to know each other pretty well, and you were working for the Baltimore. You were covering the Ravens at the time. Yes. How did you go from Baltimore to to uh, Texas? What happened? Yeah, it's an interesting story. About I think 1998, I met John McLean, who's a Hall of Fame voter and longtime NFL columnist for the Houston Chronicle. Mm-hmm. And I stayed in touch with John. He's been a mentor and friend for years. And I was a very small newspaper called the St. Augustine Record when I met him. I was reading about the Jaguars. I covered high school games. I covered University of Florida. I uh, did a little bit of everything. And I used to send articles to him and ask him questions. And you know, I looked up to a guy like that that had such a good, long career. And what I wound up doing was just, you know, moving up the ranks, uh, eventually getting to the Baltimore Sun. And then one day he calls me up and says our beat guy that helped me with the Texans he's going to be a columnist now do you want to come down here job's yours if you want and I said what do you mean he says well <laughs> you know, if I recommend you it's a job and you know basically that's it I said okay um, I'm interested and I got to a point where I covered the Ravens for 15 years and I thought it would be a good time to make a move, you know, get out of the cold, uh, move south, and work for a bigger newspaper with more money and you know, learn from John. And uh, just a situation where, you know, even though I had done a lot on my own, it was, you know, I think we can always learn from someone else. It's more experience. It's going to do that for 40 years. So I thought it'd be a good thing. And been here ever since. I came down. It's been good working with him and made a good team. and He's going to retire in a few years, and uh, just uh, and continuing to try to grow as a reporter and a writer. And, uh, we have different strengths and things that complement each other well. So yeah, I think it's uh, it's been a good move. And right now I'm uh, getting ready for the NFL draft, and we made it through free agency and hey, lost some players, signed some. Jerry saw them with their they're any better than they were. We'll see when the, when the fall gets here, what the team looks like. But for right now, uh, and 
busy, and he's like a busy year with the draft coming up. No, no, no doubt, man. No doubt. This is a fun time of the year. I remember this time of the year. This is when things start really he- heating up before the draft. And uh, well, first of all, you you left uh, you left one of the worst places in the world, so it's okay. You left the Ravens. That's okay, man. <laughs> <laughs> you, you left the Ravens. We're here in Cleveland. We we know we know the heartache. We know we know we know anybody that was a Clevelander in the '90s knows what how brutal it was the day that Art Modell said he was moving the Cleveland Browns to Baltimore. I mean, oh, yeah. the darkest day in Cleveland sports history still to this day. There's nothing even close. A second. Yeah, it was pretty awful. I mean, there was a guy, an old writer, the Baltimore Colts, when they left, a guy named John Steadman, they called him Steady, and he wrote for the Baltimore Sun. He's, he's no longer with us. He's like Art Modell. He's, he's in the, you know, beyond now. But uh, Steady said that when the Colts left, that they, and they went to Indianapolis, the Mayflower bands come out and yes, snow, exactly. in the middle of the night he said the team had been plundered <laughs> <laughs> he started making up words about how they were stolen and for people from Cleveland I mean, it's just, just a deep wound that won't heal oh, thankfully man. so many good things are happening right now with the Browns they're the most exciting thing in the NFL this offseason everybody's you know, geeked up about what they could be like with Odell Beckham and yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Baker Mayfield and all, all the good things are happening, but you know the Johnny Manziel bad days. That's behind them, and Dude. looks like they've got some good football people running the organization now. What are your thoughts about the Brownies? I mean, I think Vegas has them as like the third or fourth best odds to go to win the Super Bowl. I mean, is is this real? Really happening? I mean, on paper, which is a dangerous word, you know, people throw around. They are the most talented team in the North Division, for sure. And Pittsburgh's had an awful offseason so far. I mean, it couldn't have gone any worse for the Steelers, which is people Cleveland love. Because they lost. They, who did they lose? They yeah. lost Bell, and they lost yeah, uh, Brown. Bell and yeah. Brown, and you know, the, two of the best players. question about whether, you know, they've made it good choice to kind of just be all in with Ben Roethlisberger and obviously he has some problems going along with other talent right. and you know uh, particularly Antonio Brown uh, I think it's more complicated than that it's, it's a really multi-layered thing what happened with Pittsburgh it's kind of fascinating yeah. um, a lot of things you'll hear about the Steelers and, and how bad is it and the relationships and how toxic it, it tends to get and the favoritism and, and a lot of the double standards that exist for Ben Roethlisberger and really? uh, these other guys are, you know, blameless. But yeah, it's a, uh, I said, very negative situation that's festered with the Steelers. But those are like a breath of fresh air. There's so many exciting things happening with the Browns, and it all comes from. It's interesting because Sashi Brown and all the analytics guys. They set this thing up. They set the table with the cap space and getting the draft picks. And now they got real football guy John Dorsey to, you know, kind of reap the rewards of having all that draft capital and money to spend. Right. And they finally, I think, have gotten it right with the head coach, with the guy that's players. I'll tell you what, man. There's not a city that thirsts more for a kind of comp 
I mean, forget championship, obviously. That goes without saying. But when it comes to just being competitive, going to the playoffs, you know the Cleveland Browns fans, man. They are diehard. They're just, they're just, just begging for some kind of playoff something to give them excitement. I think we're going to get it. It's cool. I got to cover a Browns game last year when the Browns came down here to the Texans, and I thought Baker Mayfield they got a real rough start, and then he shook it off and yeah. made it interesting there at the end. J.J. Uh, Watt and all those players they have, they were all acknowledging you know, how talented and exciting he is. And sure. Really, probably just if he had not for a rough start to probably win that game and he's a rookie he's still you know, going through some things he's still going to continue to get better he's still learning on the job but right. gotta love his attitude the you know, swagger he has and the future they have with yeah, man. all the talent um, I think for Freddie Kitchens it's just interesting to see how you manage it all and how do you yep, keep everybody happy that's the most underrated aspect in sports in my opinion do you agree the most underrated aspect in sports is being able, you might have the greatest talent in the world, but being able to manage those personalities, that is an artwork. There is no science to it. That is an artwork that is an underrated aspect of any professional sport. Look at Eric Spolstra from the Miami Heat when he had LeBron, D. Wade, and Chris Bosh. I mean, people don't think that he did anything, but to be able to manage those kind of personalities, there is something to it. Right, and to make those guys respect you and buy into what you're saying, and, and, and hey, this coach has something. You're breaking up on me. You there? To, to get to a point where, as a coach, you know you're respected, and, and the players feel like they can learn from you, and not just tune you out and say, you know what, I, I'm LeBron James, I got it all figured out. Right. I'm Odell Beckham Jr. I don't need to listen to Freddie Kitchens. What players tend to respond to is. Are you genuine? Are you yourself? Or do they feel like you're acting a certain way and pretending to be something or trying to you know, pretend like you're Bill Belichick or you know, whomever you look up to as a coach? Or, or you know, and I think if you're going to get these guys to care, Maya, they got to see that you care about them as people. And if you don't, you know, that's going to show up really quickly. You can't fake that. And... Everything I've heard about Freddie Kitchens, and I'm around Freddie a lot, but you know, some people who know him, is this guy is an OBS kind of guy, but he is what you see is what you get. And you know, whereas I've seen some other coaches that kind of maybe they just look look and sound like a coach, like a Rex Ryan. Right. They don't quite have what he has in terms of you know a smaller ego, you know, and a uh, real genuine willingness to subjugate his ego and, you know, not looking for credit, not looking to be considered a genius. Just wants to win. Yeah, and, and his ability to relate to the players, connect to the players. Yeah, I mean, honestly, to pull it down, make, you know, like, uh, not making it complicated, just, are you cool? You know, are you right. Can, can, I, can I trust you? Yeah. yeah. I think Freddie, universally, people consider her to be cool, to be a good dude. Um, right. You know, Arians, that's someone people like. He's people gravitate toward a guy like that. You always hear players talking about, "Oh man, love Coach Arians," and 
you don't always hear that about everybody else. And that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win, but I think for Freddie, you know, he's got to be willing to occasionally stand up to OBJ, Baker, anybody. If he just, you know, treats this like, oh, well, let me make sure everybody's happy and everybody likes me, it's not going to work. Occasionally, you've got to put your foot down. Absolutely. And guys will test you, see what you're made of, and he's going to face those tests. He's going to face people, you know, seeing what can we get away with, you know, new guys and stuff. But I think the big thing is that he has a good relationship with his quarterback, and mm. he and Baker work well together. They mesh, and that's the guy. Right. Everyone's talking about Odell Beckham, but the leader of the team, the leader of the team needs to be Baker Mayfield. No doubt about it. Miles Garrett, does he have that kind of personality? No, he's a great player, great athlete, and nothing wrong with him. It's just he's not the leader of the team. And they've got to take on the quarterback's temperament, and everybody's going to be themselves, do it their way. Uh, But what Baker has, you can't fake that. That's something you either have or you don't. He's got it. He does, man. We haven't seen a quarterback that has, quote-unquote, it in such a long time here in Cleveland. So seeing what we saw last year was a real breath of fresh air for so many fans. Like, holy shit, man, this is what it feels like to be like New England or to be like Pittsburgh or to be Green Bay where you have these quarterbacks that potentially could last for 15 years. We don't know that, man. We, we, know, what a quarter, we know what it's like to have a quarterback for 15 games pretty much, you know? Right. So this is exciting for everybody. You go back in the history of the Browns, and you got to think back to like you know, Bernie Kosar and guys like that to think about quarterbacks that were effective, that were, you know, the town. Yeah. Really Going back to the 80s. Love. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh. Guys like that. So, so you, so okay, so you're you're in Baltimore. You went to Houston. Obviously, it's a sounds like a great transition. I see you're doing well. Um, I, I see you've got a nice little following here on Twitter. Um, working with the Texans, covering the Texans. It seems like you're kind of t- covering the Texans, but you obviously on your social media you're kind of covering the NFL in general, which is which is great. It's probably the way the industry goes. Um, outside of football, before we get back to football, though, Matt, when I knew you. Back when we used to hang out, when I was in the industry, I saw you recently on social media. I couldn't even believe that was you. <laughs> I couldn't believe that was you, Aaron, because uh, uh, and we talked about it briefly on text. But man, I wanted to hear a little bit more about it, if you don't mind, because you look like you went into hit hit like the gym and completely changed your your whole lifestyle. I made a lot of changes, and I felt like. You know, uh, four years ago, my wife passed, and rest in peace, Smith. I was like, you know, kind of at a crossroads, and I saw, you know, she'd had health problems, she'd had diabetes, pancreatitis, and did not expect her, obviously, to you know, pass when she did. It was, it was unexpected. And I had started exercising after my first season here, and I felt like I'd, you know, gained some bad weight. Uh, like a lot of sports writers, it's very sedentary. There's a lot of excuses for any profession why you, you know, put on weight. I just wasn't really, you know, taking good care of myself. wasn't hitting the gym. wasn't eating right. And you know, each year, you know, you get a little more complacent. You, you're a workaholic. You're, you're stuck on your computer all the time. You're on Twitter constantly. 
and you start becoming obsessive about it to the point where for me it was I couldn't just break what undrafted free agents say the Ravens were signing I had to know all the league how much do they pay this guy who's got an augmented practice squad salary just a lot of stuff if you spend your you could you could literally do nothing but work if you want to and sometimes I would I'd be you know, people would make fun of me sometimes that you know good naturedly that hey this is tweeting at four or five in the morning so i took stock and i said i feel like i need to change so after the first season you know she just kind of said to me like hey you know i think you, know, you gotta get back to the gym you gotta do something and i took it to heart so i started working out and then about three months later she passed away oh, and man. i went to the funeral in baltimore we had it back there and uh, a lot of guests from the Ravens were there. Um, I had a lot of people talk to me on the phone, like John Harbaugh. He couldn't make it, but he called me that day when it happened. And I just had a lot of people, you know, family, people in the industry, people that I'm close to, a lot of friends, reach out to me. And it was a real outpouring, and it meant a lot to me. And I said, you know what? You know, I'm going to take this even more seriously. And I also thought, well, you know, what am I going to do? What's the next? What's my next arc? What's my chapter going to be like? You know, because this is a major life event um, you know you're married for 10 years you think hey your, your life's all set you know, you're happy and you gotta make some changes so Jeez, I just man. you know was sad and I threw myself into exercise and I also said you know what I'm gonna work hard but I'm gonna work smart and I'm not gonna always you know, care about things that I'm not paid to care about you know they pay me in the Houston Chronicle right with the Texans I don't need to necessarily I can dabble in some things with covering the NFL, but I don't have to, you know, cover all 32 teams exhaustively the way I did before. So I made some changes to how I did my job, but I, I lifted weights. I got back into going to a gym. I joined 24-hour fitness near me. It's about a mile from my apartment, and I would always be at the gym. And if I had spare time, you know, I, I thought, I'm going to work out. And then I was like, well, you know what, I had some good friends that started telling me, hey man, why don't you go out a little bit, you know, hang out, you don't have to sit in your house all the time, or just go be, you know, be a gym rat. So I started to enjoy Houston, started to socialize a little bit. Uh, it took me a long time before I felt like, hey, I'm ready to date again, and, you know, get back out there. And, uh, you know, like for anybody that, you know, goes through that, it's, you know, you know it's not fun. You're initially, you're on your own dating apps, things like that. Right. And, you know, you want to meet someone nice, and it takes you some time. And I was really, been really, really fortunate. I met a great girl, Shannon, dating, and we just got back from Austin. We had a great time, and yeah, she's, uh, you know, very happy now. She's but, a beautiful yeah, girl, man. Good job. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Good job, man. But you just you go through life change, and you decide, you know, what's important to me. But one thing I'm very committed to. Oh, even if I'm traveling or if I don't sleep much. I mean, the free agency, uh, I'll give you an example. Free agency is really, it's one of those times where you have to zone in. And you don't know what you don't know half the time. So you're texting lots of people, you're making calls, and you're monitoring where the stories break, social media. So you're breaking, you're looking on Twitter. And, you know, there's a lot of national guys who are very well connected. There's, uh, that's more of our competition generally than local but I would you know just try to do everything I can to keep up with what's happening and explain things that have just happened so what does that leave you you sometimes your workout 
at a weird hour. So for me, I'm uh, not really a great morning person, but I would go at midnight or 11.30 at night and you know, get my workout. It's not ideal. I don't really want, want to be at the gym, but that's what I would do. I would go work out and you still eat, try to eat healthy and uh, just commit to the good habits that you've you know, been using. But oh. by doing that, you know, even though it was like kind of a really exhausting six, seven days, mm-hmm. you get through it. And that's like when I'm talking about the scouting combine. You remember when you go to the combine, you don't sleep much. You, a lot of people are eating a lot of steak. People are drinking a lot. Well, I went to the combine. I had one steak. I made sure I go up to the gym. I worked out a bunch. I didn't get to work out twice a day. Time doesn't allow, but I made sure I worked out at least once a day and that I didn't eat like crap and yeah. you know, yeah. these things are important to me but a lot of it's just having discipline and wanting to do it yeah. um, you know, and so you know I worked out this morning I'll definitely uh, actually when we got off the phone I'm going to go to the gym okay Janet, take it easy over there alright jeez me, definitely have to make time for yourself hey take it easy over there a little bit you're getting a little too carried away with this workout stuff now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, man, good for you. Uh, first off, I'm so sorry that, that you, you lost your wife, obviously, several years ago. I mean, that is, I can't imagine what that must have been like. Um, do you feel that, that the workout was was like you probably wouldn't have gone to that level of, of turning your life around if you didn't go through that, that, that traumatic experience? I From a physical know, standpoint, I don't think I would have been quite as devoted. I think I would have yeah. gotten in a little bit better shape, but I don't know if I would have you know, gotten to the point where I am now. And I, you know, for, I've lost a significant amount of weight. Yeah, I think yeah. it definitely motivated me. How, how do you handle with? I mean, how do you handle that emotionally? I'm sure it was ridiculously hard and challenging. It's hard to probably put into words. What about people that are going through the same thing? I mean, anyone that might be listening, like, what kind of advice do you have for someone that may have just gone through something similar? I think for people, grief is so personal. Everybody handles things differently. Uh, for me, it was a lot of, you know, really processing emotions. I read some books about it. I talked to a grief counselor briefly. I didn't really enjoy that. But what I wound up doing was saying, well, I want to make some changes, you know, personally. And I'm, those are important to me. And that it's kind of non-negotiable that I'm going to do things differently and you have to really you can't hold on to the past you, you know, everyone thinks well I'm supposed to be sad I can't be happy well if you let yourself kind of fall into that you know I'm sad and that's it you will be uh, you know a lot of life it, it sounds simplistic but it is a choice you know you can choose to be happy you can choose to be sad or you can choose to be you know complacent about things or you can literally you kind of find a purpose and say, you know what, I, you know, genuinely, I'm excited about. I mean, it doesn't even have to be a really exciting thing. I mean, just be like, you know what, I love that I had a, you know, great workout and I ate healthy and, you know, I made some time for myself for a little bit of downtime. Like, you know, maybe there's a Netflix show you like to watch. Just whatever you like to do. Right. Uh, you know, and whatever you find enjoyable, or reading a book or, or something. But if all you do all day is just focus on your loss, I think you're going to stay in, um, I won't call it a rut, but you're, you're going to stay in kind of a level of sadness and 
despair that you may not be able to get out of and mm. it's very easy to do uh, I know that once I stopped it was a little cathartic for me for a while to write on Facebook I'm not on Facebook anymore but I would write you know at certain dates like uh, you know like an anniversary or a birthday uh, for her and I would say something about it and um, it made me sad in the moment but I kind of got it off my chest talking to people and I think that helps a lot you know talk to sure, people sure. it's been you hear about you know talk to your family talk to your friends talk to people that you think can give you some insight but yeah at some point though you even though you you just honor and cherish that memory you have to move on if you don't move on you're, you know you're really gonna I definitely think you will not progress mm-hmm. and you go through in the first year's really you know awful for anyone that's in that position uh and you see a lot of people i mean some people go in a bad direction i mean i see some people that are my age in their 40s they maybe they have divorced or, or you know they become a widow and i was very determined not to be that guy you know that has you know goes in a bad direction like maybe starts to up at work or you know don't wait or you have health problems of your own or you you know, maybe there's other ways that, you know, you see some people that have a midlife, you know, maybe they're, you know, just behaving badly, whatever that, however that might manifest themselves. But yeah, I mean, you want to live, live a dignified life, you know, nobody's perfect, you know, be a holier than that type. But yeah, you want to, I think you want your life to mean something. So yeah, I mean, if you want to be respected, then, you know, show some respect for yourself and others. If you do that, I think good things will happen. That's beautifully said, man. Well, hey, listen, you, you've clearly bounced back from that, uh, you know, that that terrible loss, and it seems like you're doing great. Uh, you use those sad, the sadness, uh, probably as a fuel that you may or may not even have known, and uh, turned it into something positive, like you said. And uh, and and now you're, you know, you're moving forward with your life. You've got this this girlfriend. Who I, it's, it looks like from your pictures, it looks like you guys are out having a great time doing all these nice things. Um, so back to the football stuff. Uh, how, how, how did you guys meet, man? Did she did she like did she fall in love because she knew that you were like the the one and only Aaron Wilson down in Houston at the Chronicle? <laughs> like, well, how how does that happen? Uh, no. <laughs> Match.com. Match. Oh, come on, tell us a lie next time. At least give us a good story. Come on. I'm, I'm just brutally honest. That, that's, that's the truth. Match.com, huh? Nice, nice first date. Went to a wine bar. Uh, had coffee. And I had to go off to training camp after a couple of dates. And then we stayed in touch. Uh, I was in West Virginia. They texted us at a training camp at the Greenbrier Resort in West Virginia. And we texted, talked on the phone. And, and as soon as I got back, we went on another date. And um, going on ever since. The rest but, is yeah, history. Nice. Real lucky. Oh, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. So, uh, what, what's it looking like with the Texans? Back to the football side of things, yeah. business side. What What is the season looking like for you at this point? With with, with what, what they're doing. I, I think they can go in either direction. For me, you know, we're really curious. You know, after that long winning streak they went on, you know, they win, you know, nine games in a row. They didn't finish strong. They mm-hmm. won the division. They made it to the playoffs, and then they quickly got booted by the Indianapolis Colts. And it's, it's clear to us that the Colts are better than them right now. They have a better offensive line, and you know, they're making some good moves, and they've got Andrew Luck rolling again. And 
they can't stop T.Y. Hilton. They don't have the corners here, and they have trouble, you know, pass blocking. They give up the most sacks. So they have some very clearly defined holes with the team, the offensive line and the secondary. And they lost Tara Matthew and free agency to the Chiefs. So they've got some work to do. They've got a star quarterback, Deshaun Watson, has some greatness in him, and he still can get better, but they've got to protect him better. They've got, I think, arguably the best wide receiver, DeAndre Hopkins. They don't have a great running game. They have an okay running game with Lamar Miller and Deontay Foreman. You look at the defense, and there's studs like J.J. Watt, Jadavian Clowney, but, you know, there isn't what I would call a good cornerback situation. Lose Kareem Jackson, you sign Bradley Roby, who um, is from Ohio State, Broncos, yep. and that was really a that's kind of a disappointment there. He's under one year. Let me let me interrupt you real quick, if you don't mind. Yeah. So when you because you're you have to be candid. This is a brutal business. You have to be honest. You cover a team. Guys aren't always going to like what you say. I heard you say in the last two minutes a couple. Of, nice things about certain guys and some some negative things about certain guys so when you when you have to say like a guy like Roby who's been a disappointment and then you have to see him in the locker room and he catches wind that you say that I mean how what how is that dynamic as a reporter how, how do you handle that they generally if they have a problem with you you may pick up on it in a subtle way they generally are gonna like depending on how harsh your criticism is maybe they may not uh, answer back to you on Twitter. Some guys are that sensitive. Like Tyron Matthew, I actually didn't really have to be very critical of him. It was pretty good. But, you know, I see him get into Twitter fights with reporters, even though he's already left and signed with another team and a couple of radio, sports talk radio guys. They didn't even say it that bad. They just said, you know, was he really that good? They were kind of questioning, like, you know, is this that big a loss? Hmm. And he took it so personal and he was going at them and it got nasty. Eventually he deleted the tweets. He's just an uh, example of a guy that's so thin skinned. Right. Even though he's a good dude, he just he can't handle it. Can't yeah. handle anything but praise. So that's for him, he uses it all as motivational fuel and that kind of thing. But generally if you're dealing with someone like that, it's stays on a pretty positive level just because he played pretty well and we didn't have a ton of criticism of him but he tends to find the criticism right you know like DeAndre Hopkins they're not going to come at you on Twitter Uh, you know if he doesn't agree with something you may notice in a subtle way how he answers your questions if he's a little shorter if he looks away from you things like that so yeah everyone's different but you know sometimes like J.J. Watt they don't tend to you know, admit that they read anything you write, but they do. Of Everybody course, does. Of and I find with some guys, too, though, on the other side of the coin, let's say you write something good, guy may retweet it, they may write you a direct message on, let's say, like Instagram. And, you know, I'm. You know, want to have a good relationship with those guys. I don't kiss up to them, but sometimes, yeah, say I write something good, the guy kind of helped me with the article, or maybe I got access, like talk to him in a different setting, or maybe I interviewed their parents or something like that. You know what? I'm gonna say, hey, man, thanks, and I tag him in the article, and then it's like a good interaction. I mean, it's genuine, but it's also business. So you want to have a rapport with them because. It makes your job easier. You don't have a relationship, but you're not you're not friends. But you guys are in a, you're in a peculiar position though, too, Aaron, because yeah. 
Yeah, you're in a really unique spot because you want those guys as your advocates, but at the same time, you have to. If you're if you're not being fully honest, you know that your your uh, your job, your uh, work, um, people are going to notice that that it's not real. Right, you got to be yourself. You have to be like just like we're talking about with coaches. You have to be genuine, and guys will know. Just like we're watching them and how they play and how they act, they're doing the same thing with us. So oh, nice. how you conduct yourself, like, I mean, I run into guys, whether it's like I'm at a yoga studio or like, you know, you're going to the, like a juice bar, maybe, you know, like before, I don't go to the nightclubs now, but maybe you're in a nightclub, you might run into those guys. Mm-hmm. And generally what you want in that kind of situation, say hello, not going to hang out, you know, you're talk a little bit, maybe say what's up, and you go, but you no. Know, your business, then you go out theirs, but you want it to be a good interaction. And it doesn't have to be a quick, uh, long one. It can be a quick one, but you don't want to have a problem with the player. I think you want to avoid, you know, anything that potentially doesn't be awkward. Sure. So, you know, you're not going to go, you know, have shots with these guys. But yeah, you say what's up. And it, um, I think yeah. everything you do. It's a business I, relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, how you dress, if you know, how you handle yourself in a social setting what you're like in the locker room what are your interactions like do you talk to guys that maybe you don't need to do an interview with let's say you know you're in the locker room but you say out of the practice squad guy you know you have a little combo and maybe chat a little bit they may know it you know tell a guy um hey you check out that restaurant yeah or something like that you can have a conversation and yeah it's small talk but at least you have some rapport right and you know I can think of bunch of guys that you know most people don't really know them they might not be a great player but they know me and i know them and we can talk and you never know like arian foster uh, this is way before i got here but he started off with the texas practice squad and you know That's what amazing. he remembered which guys you know paid attention to him then and which guys kind of sort of jumped on the bandwagon for lack of a better word so sure you never know yeah, you just don't yeah. know which, who's going to blossom and who's going to so you want to have a good relationship with as many people as possible yeah it's a, it's a really unique dynamic you walk in a real fine line there and you're dealing with so many different personality types so many different egos it makes it very tricky and that's a part of the business that no one really ever talks about when you look at media members or guys that are covering teams beat writers those types of people you don't really think about how tricky it is for someone in your position uh, to manage all the different dynamics because you want to please the fans and give them the best content and be as real as possible and at the same time you're, you're with these other guys almost every day during the season and it's a it's a tricky thing man I give you a lot of credit for it I appreciate it yeah. I mean you have to make things hard for you uh, yeah. you know I can think of situations like Terrell Suggs who played the Ravens for a long time Suggs and I were close we had a good relationship he eventually because he had some off-field problems, and I covered those off-field issues. I didn't, you know, criticize him. I just wrote news stories about, you know, domestic incidents he'd had and court situations, and gone to court and been there. And he told me, he said, um, you know, I'm done. I'm not going to do any more interviews with you. And he was, he held true to that. He said, you know, we talked about it. And I said, you know, I didn't create these situations. You had these situations with your wife and. It's public record. I'm not the only one that wrote about it. And I said I didn't criticize you for it, but I pointed out what happened, the 
legal disposition of it. I interviewed your lawyer, gave you a chance to talk, and that played it straight down the middle. And sure, sure. that's different. That's I, I didn't show my opinion on it, but you know, hey, you could handle that better. And he says, well, that's my business. You're in my business. Blah, blah, blah. So he didn't handle it, in my opinion, very professionally, but he did man to man. I mean, I was, I would give him credit for it. He told me, hey, I have a problem with this, and this is why. And we just we agree to disagree. So we didn't. I could do an interview with him like in a group setting, but he wouldn't do like one on one with any anymore. And I covered yeah. him for over ten years, and so our relationship, as far as having any kind of extra access, that was it. Yeah. It ended. Yeah. But that's not that's not on me. I just did my job. Yeah. But he chose to react to it and say, "Well, I don't care if you're just doing your job, or whatever. You know, yes. basically, yeah. we're done." That's all, that's all it took. And I told him, I told him because I, at one point it was, I found him a little annoying because he was trying to get guys not to talk to me, other guys. So I said to him, I say, man, I'll be covering the league when you're gone. And you're a pro bowler, you're the guy, and you were a defense player, you're all those things. But I said, I'll still be here there when you you're go. gone. There you go. And I don't have to talk to you to do my job. So good luck. And, you know, like – Obviously, you know, it was kind of like a screw off for me, but you know, f off. But I, I, you know, I was like, well, I'm gonna stand up for myself, and I just told him, I said, man, you know what? That's fine. We don't have to speak. You know, do you? I'll do me. And that's fine. And you know, I, I don't dislike him or hold a grudge, but that that's an example like what we're talking about of you know where I had to do my job, and you know, he had a problem with it, and that's fine. I. Because for him, it wasn't business. It was personal because it was his personal life. But he's a public figure. And, you know, he was involved in the court system, you know, where he's got no civil litigation and restraining orders and things like that. And, you know, that's the situation. Yeah. Well, the thing is, man, when you're covering these players and you're covering them, you're covering them on and off the field. That's something that the player has to realize that they're signing up for when they're putting themselves in the spotlight. It's not just, hey, I'm going to ignore this huge thing that's going on in this person's life. And, and, what, is it, and what does that do for the reputation of you and, and the newspaper and everything else? I mean, people know. So you, you have to cover everything. It's, it's, it's the full package. It's all or nothing. So it comes with the territory, man. It's, it's a tricky, tricky business, but uh, give you a lot of credit for that. So what do you think... Looking into your crystal ball before we finish up, man, well, how do you think 2019 season looks for the Texans? I think it's, you know, a year where they could take a step back. I can mm. see them going from first place to, you know, not being a contender this year, you know, not, you know, being as competitive as they were a year ago because of who they have to compete with. In the division, the Colts are getting better. I think the Jaguars can bounce back with Nick Foles as their quarterback. And the Titans, you know, they're not formidable, but they're certainly talented. They've added some good pieces to their roster. They have a good coach. Uh, I think Bill O'Brien's a resourceful guy, but I, I think my concern is that they haven't really changed enough and that maybe in some positions they're just settling where you have, you know, Tayshawn Gibson now as your safety. And you got Bradley Roby, and you know you've got to have a. If you're Brian Gain, the general manager, you've got to have a, a just an amazing draft. You don't have a left tackle that is coming off of anything but injuries. They signed Matt Khalil, but he's been hurt and hasn't played well in years. And I just think there's too many things that have to go just right for them to to be competitive. Never count them out because they've got. They've got the quarterback. They've got a guy. 
get Deshaun Watson. He's a special talent. But when I look at it, I just think they tend to have too many injuries. They have too many issues to really be competitive. And even if they are, you know, let's say they're back in the playoffs, this doesn't feel like a team to me that's going to make a run. We're, we're, I mean, I know it's early. There's things that are going to change. There's the draft, all this stuff. But but as of today, if you had to just predict, what do you, what's their record in 2019? What's the record? Probably be 8-8 eight eight or 9-7. Okay. How about the Brownies, more importantly? They're headed to that 11 victory. Ah, there you go, folks. You heard it here. That is beautiful. You heard it here from the one and only Aaron Wilson. 11 and 5. Sir. Okay, good. Um, so where can people find you on social, man? What's your names? I'm on Twitter at Aaron Wilson underscore NFL. I'm on Instagram where we recently corresponded and made this happen. Yes, sir. Aaron Wilson 7128. Uh, I guess there are too many other Aaron Wilson, so I wound up with that that number. That was what was available for me. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> where I'm at, uh, I, just, I usually use those two forums and just Twitter and Instagram, mostly Twitter for work and Instagram, a little bit of a mixture of both. Hey, dude, you know what I learned of the all the things I learned to you from you in this past 40 minutes? The biggest thing that I'm taking away is that Match.com fucking works. <laughs> that is that is beautiful stuff, man. That is beautiful. Hey, brother, thank you so much for uh, reconnecting. We'll stay in touch, obviously. It's great to hear it from you. And, uh, and I, I'm really happy that you're doing well, man. Continued success. We'll stay in touch. Thanks, man. Absolutely.